Father God, thank you for this time that we have to pause, to reflect, to remember, to consider your incredible love for us. God, we're grateful. We're grateful that you loved us so much that you would die in our place so that we could live. And God, as Ron asked the question, my hope, my prayer for us, Lord, is that we are people who are compelled by that love, who are compelled to live a life that honors you, that glorifies you, that worships you with every choice, every decision, every step we take. God, show us what that can look like for us today, this week, as we open your word, as we look at some passages of scripture, God, as we, as we talk about some incredible truth. So God, speak today. Speak in a way, God, that your Holy Spirit can cause our hearts to listen, to hear. Open us up to, you, to what you have for us. God, we pray this, we ask for this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Good morning. It's great to have you here with us today. I'm going to ask the ushers to make their way down the aisle. They want you to have a Bible so uh, you can track along if you're not using the YouVersion Bible app. You can track along with a Bible if you also don't have a Bible with you. Also, I ask you to slip up your hand. We want to make sure you have a bulletin. There's a lot happening in these next couple weeks, and you want to know everything that's happening here at LifePoint so you can participate and be a, be a part of that. Hey, before we dive in, uh, just a couple things. First of all, is this is uh, we have various community groups in our church who gather together and have various events, but uh, a group, one of our community groups that gathered just uh, this weekend did something really incredible that I just, I, I praise God for. Uh, they got together and they uh, put together care packages. This group of people this weekend put together care packages for service men and women who are, uh, who are, who are deployed right now. They uh, put together about 25 uh, care packages, totaling about $1,000 or so in value of, of items that they put together. They wrote handwritten notes, and they're going to put those in the mail tomorrow and get them out to people just to be a huge blessing to them. So I just look at that, and I'm like, yeah, praise God that some of our people would serve that way um, and serve those who serve. Really, really cool. I I'm grateful for that. Did I miss something? Okay. All right. Uh, well, the next thing that you may or may not laugh at, um, we have our, our upcoming pastor here who is our, who is our newest, latest, and greatest uh, video hero. Um, <laughs> uh, what we're going to do is, if you aren't on social media with us, you may not be aware that we're putting more and more on there as kind of what's happening here at LifePoint, do some of our announcements. We'd encourage you to get on there and check it out. For example, uh, we're wanting you um, to come participate this afternoon after the service out in the front here and go make Christmas cookies. Just kind of a way to hang out together. And if you have kids or grandkids, nieces or nephews, go, go make them with them. Just have fun. Get to talk to people and all that. And uh, I thought our, our, our Pastor Grant could do a better job of explaining it than me. So watch the screen.
<laughs> oh, that's great. So come out, come out and join us this afternoon right after the service. Make some cookies that you can uh, toss into somebody's face. My mind is wandering of who I want to toss it in their face. Isaac Watts rocked his world. He wrote a massive collection of over 750 hymns, and they're still being sung in churches today. I want to tell you a little bit about him. He was born in 1674 in Southampton, England, to a deeply religious family. Isaac eventually became a pastor of a large independent church in London, England. He earned a reputation for his incredible communication skills, and, and, and he was a, a great preacher. So much so that preachers would come to him privately and ask if, they could, if he could tutor them and help them as they preached and as they delivered God's word. And he did so, and he would do that privately. Watts also loved worship through music. But, but he thought that the music in churches was totally monotonous and boring. He felt that people lacked joy and emotion when they sang. I, I put this up on the screen. Here's what he said. He said, To see the dull indifference, the negligent and thoughtless air that sits upon the faces of a whole assembly while the psalms are on their lips might even tempt a charitable observer to suspect the fervency of their inward religion. In other words, he was like, hey, people may love God and there may be something going on inside, but you would never know it by the way they were singing out in churches. On advice from his dad, he decided to do something about it. So Watts spent the rest of his life writing lyrics and composing tunes that would elevate Jesus in a new way for the people. As is always the case when somebody rocks the status quo, a lot of people didn't like his music. Some thought it was even sinful. Some thought it was heretical. Why was that? Well, up to that point in time, in the churches in England, essentially all the songs that were sung were, were psalms that were put to music. But Watts came in and he changed that and he boldly added words to the songs that you know, weren't actually in the Bible. And that rocked people. He had a fresh tune, fresh words to the music. One of his critics believed he assessed Watts correctly when he said, Christian congregations have shut out divinely inspired psalms and taken in Watts' flights of fancy. Isn't it interesting that this conversation over music and worship has been going on for hundreds of years? Watts' goal, as one author put it, was to, uh, to merge emotional subjectivity with doctrinal objectivity. You and I might be familiar with maybe one of his more familiar songs that, that is still sung today, and it's When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Have you heard that song? You've, you've heard that song. It blended emotion with rich theology. While many believe that Watts was leading were leading Christians down the wrong path, God was clearly using him to bring new life to church worship. Many were receiving his works and his songs as a breath of fresh air from the Spirit of God. Watts published his hymn book in 1719, 
And here's what he entitled it. It was a short title. Let me give it to you real quick. The Psalms of David, imitated in the language of the New Testament and applied to the Christian state and worship. Not a title that's not going to go over too well today, right? In other words, what, what, what Watts believed is that the Psalms were pointing people to Jesus. They were pointing us to the person and to the work of Jesus. Now, in that collection of, of hymns, he gives his rendition of Psalm chapter 98. And, and while he was meditating on Psalm 98, he, he really uh, focused in on verse 4, and it just gripped him. And it says this in Psalm 98, 4, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. And that's exactly what, what Watts set out to do with his songs and his writing and his music. He called his song based on Psalm 98, the famous song that we now know as Joy to the World. Little did Watts know that that song would have such a huge and lasting impact. Now here's what's interesting. The main point of Psalm 98, which Watts himself clearly understood and what he actually wrote about, the main point of it was not the first coming of Jesus. The main point was actually the second coming of Jesus. That's what the psalm is all about. That's actually what the song is all about. And so even though Watts didn't imagine and envision us singing this song just during Christmas time, it's become one of the all-time great Christmas carols, hasn't it? But it was all about the second coming. And so from here today, henceforth, LifePoint will no longer sing Joy to the World until the second coming of Jesus. Joy to the world. It's really one of the, joy is the central theme or one of the central themes of the Christmas season and the Christmas message as the angel declared in Luke chapter 2 verse 10, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. So, since we will in fact continue to sing Isaac's Watts song as a Christmas carol, Let's look at Jesus. Let's look at the Christ in this carol as it's all about Jesus. Joy to the world. Joy to the world. Why? Why is there joy to the world? Well, the first verse or the first stanza clearly tells us why. It says there is joy because God became man. How does the song start off? It starts off by singing or saying joy to the world. The Lord is come. Joy to the world. Who has come? Who has come? The Lord. Jesus is the deity of God living in humanity. It's what you and I call the incarnation. Colossians 2.9 describes the incarnation this way. For in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. You see, Jesus wasn't just another baby when he was born. When Jesus was born, wise men crossed borders just to come and see and worship Jesus. When Jesus was born, a giant star in heaven lined up and it rested over where Jesus was. When Jesus was born, shepherds were told by angels of his incredible birth. When Jesus was born, the angels couldn't stop repeating in Luke 2.14, Glory to God in the highest heaven. And on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. 
Those shepherds who heard this incredible message, they hurried off to go find this baby, this unique baby, this different baby. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 2, verse 17 and following, it says, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. You know other false religions? They require that mankind do better, be better, do more, be this, be that, in order to be accepted by God. But in Christianity, God, the one true God, loved us so much that he initiated that love by humbling himself, coming to us to take away our sins so that those who would place their hope and faith in this Jesus, in this God, would live with him forever. And that is why there is great joy. It's no wonder that Psalm chapter 98, which Watts draws from, says that the earth roared. Why? Because our maker is with us. So of course the earth sings with joy, and so should we. There is joy because the Lord God himself has come. But you and I can also have joy when, when the king is received, when the king is received. Maybe you've heard this saying before. Have you heard this, that there's a, a God-sized hole or a God-shaped hole in everyone's heart? Have you heard that, that, that phrase before? And if you and I go and try to fill that God-shaped hole in our heart with someone or something else, it's always going to leave us wanting. We're never going to be fully and finally satisfied. And that's why the first stanza of Joy to the World teaches us that you and I can have joy when we receive our King, when we let our heart prepare room for Him. The verse says, or the stanza says, Joy to the, Lord, the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. You see, we know historically that not everyone was joyful when the king was born, right? You know about one particular king who wasn't joyful. His name was King Herod. And if you know any of the histor historicity of King Herod, you know that he had three sons and, and he was worried about them, uh, you know, trying to take over his kingship and, and they were a threat to him and, and he was paranoid about them trying to overthrow his throne, throne, so he had them killed. This same king would not tolerate any rival king, much less receive him, especially a baby born in a manger. People today still refuse to receive Jesus as king. Why? Well, like Herod, they view Jesus as a threat. I wonder if that's true of us. Do we struggle receiving Jesus as king because we see him as a threat to maybe our plans, a threat to our freedom, a threat to our passions or greeds or wants or desires? And people who are in that position, they miss out on the joy that has come. You know, Herod stood in stark contrast to the Magi from the east. And they sought eagerly to receive this new king. And when they finally found Jesus after following that star, the Bible talks about how they worshipped him. And they worshipped him by giving him an offering. And I think you know what they gave him, right? You see it all the time in the, in the stories. They gave him gold and frankincense and, and myrrh as an offering of love and worship. 
Now, what does that stanza say? It says, let every heart prepare him room. Now, I've got to throw this out. This is kind of where my brain goes. When I hear that, hey, prepare room in your heart. Hey, can we all, you know, make a little room in our heart? You know, hey, can we just open up our heart? It sounds like we're doing God a favor, right? I mean, hey, can you prepare room? Can you make a little room in your heart? It's like, hey, can you do me a favor and help me out here and, and, and make room in your heart? It, it's not like buying a puppy or something, you know, and just, hey, you got a little room in your heart to pick up this puppy. I was over at Walmart yesterday, and out front, I can't even believe this was allowed, but out front, there was a guy there, and he had a little cage, and inside the cage were a whole bunch of cute little puppies. And, and, I mean, they were really cute. And, and the guy's standing there, he's like, hey, could you, you know, make room in your heart to pick, take one of these puppies home for Christmas? And guess what all the kids were saying? Yeah, Mom, Dad, you know, and they're first flocking around there, and the Mom and Dad are like, the, the parents who saw that, 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 those puppies, like, from the distance, you could see them redirecting their kid and trying to not let them even see that it was there. Can you make a little room in your heart, you know, for Sparky or Skippy or Spunky or Schmoopy or whatever it is? And I'm like, no, 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 they're all staying at the pound. I know, I know, write me your emails. In fact, this is the one time I want you to write me an email. I will not respond, but go ahead and write it. I already started receiving the emails. Uh, last service was awesome. The texts were flying in. Hey, I want to let you know that the mansion that God is preparing for you in heaven, heaven is going to be full of sparkies. <laughs> that was awesome. No problem. Just not here. Listen, prepare room. You're not doing God a favor by preparing room in your heart. In fact, this is the king. This is the king. And what the Bible tells us in Psalm 98 and what, what Watts is trying to tell us is that have, because he's the king, you know what happens? Heaven and nature sing. I want you to think about that for a minute. In the first century, the Roman generals would return from war. And there would be, they would have what was called the Roman triumph. And it was this huge celebration. There was singing and there was music and the people were lining the streets and shouting and praising their victorious king after being victorious in war. The Bible tells us, as incredible as those Roman triumphs were, the Bible tells us that when the king, God the king arrives, heaven and nature will sing. Watts' second verse says, fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains, they're all repeating the sounding joy. And that was based on him looking at Psalm 98, verses 7 and 8, which said, let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, let the rivers clap their hands, let the mountains sing together for joy. What a magnificent display of the grandeur and the scope of the power of God. And that is reason for our joy before the Lord. We can have the joy, but we must invite them in. All of nature is rejoicing at the coming of this king. What about you? What about you? I, I want you to listen to Isaiah's version of let every heart prepare him room. In Isaiah chapter 55, it says this. It says, come all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters and you who have no money. Come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. 
Why spend money on what is not bread and on your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me. Eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fare. Now, some of you hear that and you're like, uh, metaphors, all that, I, I, that doesn't work for me. I don't, what, what is he even saying there? Okay, God makes it clear. He kind of like, okay, let me cut through the chase. Make sure you understand what I was just saying. God says in the next verse, Isaiah chapter 55, verse 3, give ear, and what does it say? Give ear and what? Come. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may, and what's the word? That you may live. Do you see what's happening here? God is saying it's not about making, you know, just a little bit of room in our heart because it'd be a nice little addition to add God into our life with everything else we have going on. He's talking about responding and receiving to Jesus because according to Isaiah, that is a matter of life or death for us. It's not just a little piece in our heart. It is our heart. It is our life. So the language, make room, come, eat. In other words, it's all about receiving Jesus into your heart. That is how you and I can have true joy. Next, it's not just about receiving Jesus. There's joy when our Savior reigns in our life. Receiving Christ Jesus the King is an important step. It's a first step. But then we must let Him reign in our lives. Verse 2 of, uh, or stanza 2 of Joy to the World says this, Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. You see, joy comes to you and I. Real joy comes when our Savior reigns in our life. You know, the Gospels are constantly showing us people who, they wanted to receive Jesus as King. Who wouldn't? I'll I'll, I'll take him as king. But they didn't want him to reign in their lives. One man in Luke chapter 9, verse 59, he said, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go, but first, I got to go take care of some family business. But first, I need to go. I'll follow you, but first I need to do this. I want to have a relationship with you, but I want it on my terms. I want to have a relationship with you, but I want it to be on the fringe. I want it to be a conditional relationship with Jesus. First, I need to go and do this. That is not Jesus reigning in our lives. On the day of Jesus' triumphal entry, many people stood in the streets and they sang and they shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. It was popular at the moment and people were caught up in that. They loved that. But later on, a few days later, do you remember what they shouted instead of Hosanna? What did they shout? Two words. What did they say? Crucify him. Crucify him. Because they didn't want Jesus to reign in their lives. We'll take him as king. We don't want him touching our lives. How many of us find ourselves, if we honestly look in our hearts and examine ourselves and allow the Spirit of God to examine us, how many of us want all the good things that Jesus has to offer? But we really don't want him to reign. Reign over our business or business ethic. We don't want him to reign over our public image. We don't want him to reign over our finances. We don't want him to reign in our relationships or in our home life or in our, in our work life. Listen, Jesus wants to rule over all of our daily choices, over all of our daily decisions. It's been said that joy is a byproduct of obedience. And when you allow this king to reign over every aspect of your life, and he brings you incredible joy. You might be here this morning and, and you're missing out on joy. 
Perhaps you're missing out on joy because Jesus isn't reigning in your life. You're not experiencing the joy of the Lord. Perhaps he isn't reigning. You've received him as king. You're not allowing him to reign over your life. What else can we see that was in the mind of Isaac Watts as he read Psalm 98 and then he put together his carol? He writes a third verse or a third stanza that, that, that at least in the first service, many people didn't know existed. And the third stanza goes like this. It says, No more let sins and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, and here's the repeat over and over, far as the curse is found. Can you imagine just singing that over and over, far as the curse is found? Far as, can you imagine singing that? I think that's why people leave it out of the Christmas you know, carols, right? like what is this now I'm just curious if you've heard let me rephrase it if you've sung this third verse in a church service at some point in your life raise your hand I'm curious okay Uh, if you've never heard of the verse raise your hand yeah okay you know so a bunch of us I I guess I never heard the verse and I was like oh my goodness what what is this so so kind of peering in a little deeper into this verse what's the curse that he's talking about far as the curse is found where did the curse originate Well, back in Genesis chapter 3, Satan, he promised Adam and Eve that if they would eat the forbidden fruit, you know, they they would gain wisdom. They'd become like God. They'd become wise. And so you know the story, right? They ate the forbidden fruit, thus disobeying God. God then said to Adam in Genesis 3 verse 17, he said, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil or labor, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. Their disobedience to God back in Genesis 3, what the Bible calls disobedience calls it sin, it brought a horrible curse. It brought unending regret that mankind has been living with for thousands of years. Isaac Watts knew firsthand the curse of living in the fallen, broken world. Isaac himself was plagued by disease. Eventually, his illness got so bad, he could no longer be a pastor, or he could no longer pastor the church. He faced constant opposition about his work and his songs and his hymns and even his preaching by by those inside the church and those outside the church. He did have one big fan. Her name was Elizabeth Singer. She loved his music. She loved his his songs. And she wrote to him saying, hey, I'm your biggest fan. And so so Isaac Watts, you know, he was the first guy to receive fan mail, okay? You know, as a writer, a singer. And so he decided to correspond, or he wrote back to her, thank you, and they got to corresponding through mail. Eventually, through that correspondence, they fell in love. Through that, they eventually got engaged through mail, by the way. That's how they got engaged. Hey, will you marry me in the mail? I got to tell you, in the modern day way of doing things, that's kind of a poor way to ask someone to be or, you know, to marry you, right? Speaking of which, I, I don't know if you paid attention or heard the story this week. Corey Shugart, he proposed to Ashley Halladad uh, this week. Maybe you heard the story. They're in Dallas. They, they rented a, pl- a small little plane. They went up in the plane and to look over the Christmas lights over Dallas. Pretty cool thing, right? Well, what she didn't know, 
is that the day before he had gone out into this big field and he had set, got the generator, everything, set up all these lights so that when they're flying over the city, they get to this field and it's wide open, it's dark everywhere, but in the middle of this field were the words, marry me. And all the ladies say, oh, and all the guys are like, yeah. <laughs> Man, I wish I would have thought of that. I just sent it by text. So Isaac and Elizabeth, they finally meet. And when she sees Isaac for the very first time, she turned around and got back on the buggy and left. No, yes. (laughs) She wrote later, he was only five feet tall with a shallow face, hooked nose, small eyes, and a death-like color. That's not language you want to write to, you know, on, on Valentine's Day, by the way. She was so disappointed by his appearance, she bailed on the marriage. Isaac Watts was, as you can imagine, heartbroken. And he never pursued another woman again. It's interesting that the man who knew loneliness like no other. The man who knew disappointment, the man who knew physical disadvantage, the man who knew what it was like to be sick, the man who understood the curse of the fall as well as anybody. Isn't it interesting that he's the one who wrote the words, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. What about you this morning? How is this world broken for you today? What are you plagued by this Christmas? Maybe you have a loved one who's died recently. Maybe you've lost a job. Maybe you have a physical illness or sickness. Maybe you're carrying the weight of a dark, secret, unconfessed sin. Or perhaps this was the year that you had a relationship that didn't work out, maybe like Isaac. Watts understood. He understood it's in God alone, through his son Jesus, who would break the curse of the fall. Through Jesus alone that he would break the curse, that he would redeem, that he would restore. And the Bible says this, that he would reconcile us to himself. God's blessings the verse talks about God's blessings would flow to us through Jesus. Now the last verse or stanza teaches that there is joy because Jesus rules with truth and grace. Listen to the verse. It says, He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of His righteousness and wonders of His love. You and I can have joy And the incredible reason is, is because Jesus rules with this perfect balance of grace and truth. John 1.14 says, We have seen the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Did you catch that? The Bible tells us that Jesus is full of grace and truth. He's the perfect blend of grace and truth. But what about us? 
You and I tend to lean one way or the other, don't we? We tend to lean more towards the grace side or more towards the truth side. Sometimes in our efforts to uphold truth, we find that we're not as gracious or there's little mercy or little grace. I heard Bob Goff uh, uh, recently say, he's someone who spoke at the Global Leadership Summit that we've been hosting the last two years in, Octo- or in August, which we encourage you to be a part of this year. He said this, he said, you can be correct, but not right. Later on, he, he tweeted this and he, he said this, he said, quit being right and be humble. You see, he was reminding us that truth without grace is disastrous. But what about the other side of the equation? Because you and I live in the postmodern world, we live in a world that rejects the idea of absolute truth, don't we? we live, if, if you're like, paying attention, that's the world we live in. And the most elevated virtue today seems to be what? What's the word? It starts with a T. Tolerance. And people are super light on truth while appearing to be full of grace. But it's really just tolerance. And without truth, people are like a train without a track. They're like a ship without a rudder. And if we are just going to do what is right in our own eyes, we will be far from God. And we will miss out on the very joy of the Lord. So you and I need to turn and we need to look at Jesus And we need to see his example because he perfectly balanced truth and grace. And we see it in the woman, in the story with the woman caught in adultery. When Jesus looked at her and said, I am not going to condemn you, but I don't want you to sin anymore. We see it in the story of, of the greedy and conniving Zacchaeus. And Jesus went to him and said, hey, Zach, I'd love to come over to your house and have a meal with you and spend time with you. And through the time that they spent together, Zacchaeus did a 180, and he got right with God, and he repented, and he changed his life. Jesus lived and spoke the truth in love. He did it with compassion, truth, and grace. I heard a story about a dad who found a way to mix truth and grace at Christmas. He and his family went out to set up, you know, their big nativity set. It was a, it was a huge one, big figurines. They're excited about this. And, and so they have Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus, and they have the manger and, the, you know, the shepherds and the angels and the barnyard animals. I mean, it was huge. It took up a, a, a whole, the whole yard, and it was lit up brightly. And they stood back, and they looked at it, and it, looked, it really looked amazing. I mean, it would be the talk of the town. It was so nice and so beautiful and so lit up, and the figurines were so big. But then his little son came up to him, and he said, Dad, 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 come on. Let's go down to the store and get that big Tyrannosaurus Rex in the store and put it on top of the nativity. (coughs) He was so excited about this, and, and his dad's looking at him, trying to explain to him, Hey, son, dinosaurs existed thousands of years before baby Jesus was born. He was like, hey, prehistoric beasts, they don't belong in the nativity scene. But he could tell his little boy was just heartbroken. He couldn't understand, couldn't grasp. So the dad decided to go out and buy the great big giant T-Rex and set it up. The truth was the dinosaur didn't belong, but out of grace, the father went and got this giant T-Rex, the 
fierce Tyrannosaurus Rex, big and green, and he placed it looming over the manger and everybody else. Now, by the way, I, I, I prepared this most of the sermon earlier in the week, and, and I had heard that story, and, and, and then I went out. I was on a Wednesday night when I had put this mostly together, and, and, and I went out to run over to Trader Joe's. And as I'm driving through the neighborhood, I, I've never seen this before. I don't know why. Maybe it's because I just did this illustration. I'm driving through the neighborhood. I could not believe how many uh, you front yards had a bunch of dinosaurs on them. Really? And I was like, what's going on? I'm like, how did that conversation originate? How did like a couple get together and say, hey, what should we do for Christmas this year? Oh, I know, dinosaurs. <laughs> Actually, that menacing beast hovering over the manger may not have been out of place as much as we think. In Revelation chapter 12, we have a nativity account that very few people realize is the Christmas story. It describes the birth of Jesus this way. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 1, it says this. It says, A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant. Talking about, you know, the it's really talking about Israel and, and then, of course, through Jesus. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon, which scholars would say is the devil. The, the enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. Its tail swept a third of the stars or angels out of the sky and flogged them to the earth. The dragon, so we had the red dragon, now it says the dragon, and whether you think it's still the devil or we're talking even about Herod here, the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. Behind the scenes loomed this dragon. For each of us this morning, if I can take it back to that child, there's a menacing dinosaur. Or to use the biblical word, a dragon that threatens to rob us all of our joy. But at Christmas time, it's a time for you and I to remember and to remember that the tiny baby in the manger actually rules and he reigns and is greater than all the dinosaurs, all the dragons. Take it back to Genesis 3. Greater than all the sin that is in our life, in my life or your life, that God has given us the victory through the gift of his son. Amen? I close with this. Have you experienced, as that final stanza says, the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love? Have you experienced that? His love, his wondrous love, his incredible righteousness? You see, God wants, God invites you to know him, to prepare room in your heart so that he can rule and reign in your life, that he could speak truth into your life, that he could speak grace into your life so that then you will know and be able to experience joy, unspeakable joy, and you could sing and you can worship from your heart joy to the wor world, the Lord, or joy to the world, my Lord has come. Can you sing that out today? Jesus wants to know you. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, Almighty God, I thank you for your word in Psalm 98 that gives us this incredible picture of the coming of Jesus. Lord, we know it's focused on the second coming, but we get incredible glimpses of what that even looked like behind the scenes in a, in a dual fulfillment, so to speak, with the first coming. Thank you for Isaac Watts putting these words that we can focus on Jesus and remember that we can have joy, incredible joy, because you rule and you reign. And God, my hope and my prayer is that each person here would open their hearts to you to reign in their life. And so I'm going to ask right where you're sitting, would you just take a moment and would you affirm maybe for the first time, or reaffirm that, that your heart is God's. Pray right now and, and invite them in, invite them back. Say, God, my life is yours, and I want you to reign. God, hear our prayers. And in a moment, God, one of the ways we demonstrate that you reign is by doing what you've asked us to do, to worship you, by giving you a gift, an offering. So God, right now we come to do this, to honor you, to praise you, to worship you. Much like those, those magi from the east who worship through the gift of an offering. God, use this for your glory and your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. In a moment, I will ask the ushers to come up. And you can give an offering three different ways at LifePoint. You can give in these bags that are going to be passed. You can text. You can pull out your phone and text give. You can also give online and you can set it up for reoccurring, systematic. You can